Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Urban Legends. I do love these episodes. Well, I always say that, though, don't I? I'm like, I love this episode every time. Well, these ones are fun and they're ridiculous. And we found some real treasures. Yes, we really did. This one is one where you really want to go look at the pictures. Oh, yeah. We'll post them, too. Yeah. And if you're in the Bat Bonfire, check your feed because we'll post them this morning so you can see the photos while you listen. And if you're not part of our Bat Bonfire, check out our Patreon to find out more on how to join. Yeah. So we thought it would be fun, kind of like what we did with our Sea Monsters episode, to pick an urban legend. And it could be a real urban legend. And when I say real, like a known urban legend. Or make up our own urban legend and tell it to each other to see if we can guess if it is real or made up. Yeah, I love these. We did this with our sea monsters and I loved it. This time we're not going to draw them though. However, I would like for you all to draw them and send them to us. If you do, you'll get a very snazzy sticker in return. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I'm going to have Lindsay go first this time. Didn't I go first last time? I think you did. I think you did. Yeah. So this one is like a super local, like it's a Baltimore one and there's not a lot on it. So it's, it's very short and sweet. So there's an urban legend about like a crab monster. Do you know that Baltimore is like all about crabs? It's like all crabs all the time. Uh, You enlightened me, I think, last week on that. Yeah, we're we love our crabs. But so per this legend, if you pollute the bay or you catch too many crabs, then this kind of crab monster will either one, give you bad luck or two, remove your toes with its pincers. And so it looks like a crab, but it's just bigger. From what I saw, it was like three to four feet, which is a massive crab, truly massive and big enough to chop your toes off. And it has kind of, have you ever seen a blue crab? No, I don't think so. Okay, so they look like a crab, but they're like this beautiful bright blue. And when you steam them, they turn red. So you may have seen steam crabs as red, but they're typically blue at first, from what I understand. But they have these little black beady eyes that kind of look like little glass beads, like on the front of their shells. But because it's so massive, it's like... I don't know. It looks like it's eye-catching from the descriptions that I saw, and it's kind of glowy. So that's my urban legend. Is it real or is it not? If you're trying to draw it or you're trying to determine whether this is real or not, give it a pause because we're going to tell you whether it's real in a moment. Okay, okay. I'm going to say that that is a real urban legend. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) Like, crab monster, why not? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, look, it absolutely could be a Baltimore thing. Like, it feels right. Yeah. But it is not. It is not a real one. You played it well. Thank you. I thought that my face was going to give it away. Well, then I have a great one for you, Lindsay. So I am going to tell you about a terrifying creature that is also an otter. (laughs) I do love an otter. Can you even see terrifying with otter yet in your head? When I do... What I'm seeing, little hands. Uh, no, my brain just went straight to Weasel from The Suicide Squad. Oh, gosh. That it looks like that. <laughs> and that feels terrifying with like a yellow, with like a white belly instead of a brown one. I should have just told you about Suicide Squad. I know you've already seen it. Oh, my God. That would be hilarious, though, to like do one of these. It eats children. <laughs> it's killed 20 children. And we're like, but we love it. <laughs> yeah. licking the window. Yeah. Anyways, so mine is about an otter. And so this creature can take many forms, but it's usually found in either otter form or man form. And sometimes a little of both. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) this creature wants to lure you into the wilderness or possibly to the water since it's an otter and horrifically kill you and or rip you apart. Now, is it doing that with its hands or does it have like tools? Um, like its little claws. <laughs> She's uh making little claws at me right now. 
Yeah. So it'll get you one of two ways. Either it'll call you into like the wilderness or the water by mimicking a voice, like either a familiar voice or think of like someone that might need help, like maybe a child. And or if you need help yourself, it'll come to you and offer help, but it realistically just wants to murder you horrifically. Sometimes it may even make a weird whistle. And here's the thing. Here's how you can stop this monster in its tracks. By adopting a puppy. Mm. I don't know. This is feeling suspect. This is feeling very suspect. Okay, so if you are following along and you are either drawing a beautiful picture or you're not quite ready to find out if it's real or fake, pause right here for a moment because Lindsay's going to give us her guess. (laughs) Lindsay, is my creature real or made up? Okay, can I ask questions? No, I'm just processing the information that you gave. Okay, rips you apart with its little otter hands, can shapeshift into anything, but chooses man or otter, sometimes both. (laughs) I would like to know what that looks like. Kills in water and land, will draw you in kind of like a coyote from what it seems like. Yeah, and you could stop it by adopting a dog. By adopting a dog. Okay, so you had me on Team Real until you said if you adopt a puppy... Because that feels very Amanda specific. It does. But also that feels like it's a red herring. So I'm going to guess that it's real with a question mark. (laughs) You are right. Yeah, I tried to pick one that I was like, it would sound like I made it up because I love otters. And obviously I want everyone in the world to adopt a dog. So I was like, this is perfect. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's a weird one. It is really, really something. So I've heard it pronounced several different ways, either Kushtaka Kushtaka or Kustika. And it literally means land otter man. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So the reason also I picked this, Lindsay, is because it is also called the Alaskan Bigfoot in some stories. And I know how you love a Bigfoot. I do love a Bigfoot. So am I to understand that when it is otter man, it's just a giant fucking otter? Is that what I'm understanding correctly? I'll send you a little picture here. Let's take a look at the internet. Please don't look at it yet. I need to send you the picture that I have in my mind specifically for you. I'm ready. I'm ready for this photo. Is this otter man hitting on me right now? He's fucking jacked. <laughs> this is the most bizarre thing that I've ever seen. His little teeth are getting me. <laughs> it has, you know how swimmers have that V? You know what I'm talking about? Like the the muscles there? Yep. Yeah. This otter man also has it. So again, check our social media. If you're in the Bat Bonfire, we're going to do our best to start putting all the photos we talk about in one big post. And then we'll kind of release them as the week goes on for the rest of the world. But I need everyone in the world to look at this thing because it looks beautiful. Well, it just looks like a fucking swole man. With an otter face. With an otter face and a long ass neck. Like that's what's getting it for me. It's the long ass neck. Yeah. And it also like, let me let me zoom on in here because I've got some questions. Am I supposed to believe that this body is hairy or does he just have brown skin? I think he can kind of make it what he wants to be because I'm, I have more information to give you in just a moment. So maybe it'll answer some questions. Okay, but here's my other question. Okay. It doesn't have nipples in this photo. And I don't know why that's oh getting me, gosh. but it, it's missing nipples. Okay, so you're you're looking at this photo like I did Blucifer. Oh, I'm zooming in. Oh yeah, like I'm getting I'm getting in there. <laughs> and then it's really something. These fucking teeth. I also like it is Weasel just fucking like swole. Like Weasel's hot cousin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give you a little bit of background here. Of course, like this will make you look at otters much differently because this legend comes from the Tlingit people and they live in Alaska and a little bit of Canada from what I understand. And their history goes back really, really far. So its origin is they believed that the otters are shapeshifters and they can shapeshift into a man when they please. But in a lot of the stories, they have an evil purpose. And like I said, to kill people. So what they do is they trap their victims' souls and prevent them from reincarnating in certain cases. 
So kind of like the marrows that we talked about in our roommates episode? Yeah, kind of. So there's two different ways. I kind of went into it a little bit. But if you're doing something in your village, like hunting or fishing or, you know, you're doing something, a man or a group of men will come up to you, but they will look like they are part of either your group or like possibly someone you know, but they look like they belong. And they're actually this creature. Or if you are hurt and you need help, they'll come up to you and offer help. So like think of Alaska, if you're stuck in the cold or something like that, they'll come and they'll help you. But they either lead you into the wilderness, like deeper into one of the forests or into the water. They kill you by tearing you into pieces or they may turn you into another Kushtaka, which will then prevent you from being reincarnated. There are some stories that suggest that they actually help you when they turn you into one. Because if you are like going to freeze to death, if they turn you into one, you won't freeze to death because then you'll be a shapeshifter too. But in most stories, it looks like they just straight up kill you or yeah, they don't want you to be reincarnated. So they turn you into it as like an evil purpose. Okay, I have questions. Also, just as a general note, normally Amanda and I, we both research the topics that we're going to talk about and then we pull our research together and we both discuss everything. But today we actually have our own urban legends. So that's why you're probably going to notice us asking each other a lot more questions. So are we to think that there's a whole horde of these? Yeah. So it's not just one of these otter men. Yeah, because they make more. Okay. And are there otter women? They can take shape of almost anything. So I believe so. But it, it looks like most stories say that they turn into men. Okay. In most of them. But also sometimes too, they have a certain whistle, like call when they're trying to get you to come to them. And some people say it's like a three pitched whistle. So you'll know it's one. But then like outsiders won't know and they'll be like oh someone is trying to call to me and they'll go and get murdered otherwise yeah they can mimic the sound of like a woman or a child to make people want to go help also it's really easy for them to lure you too, like someone like me because people are easily drawn to otters so if they're just in otter form being cute it sometimes can draw people in now i wasn't lying when i said how to keep them away though so they are afraid of dogs So this is a perfect reason if you do plan on visiting the Alaskan wilderness to have a dog by your side because they don't like dogs. And I've also seen some stories where they're afraid of fire. Okay, I could see that. Yeah. So I know we've discussed this before, but we had talked about how urban legends sometimes just continue because it's like a safety hazard and it's trying to keep people away from doing something. Yeah. So I think we talked about that with like the trestle, I believe. Like, don't go up on the trestle and die. Yeah. With the goat man from Hopelick. Your favorite. So it is said that a lot of Alaskan mothers will tell the story because it keeps their kids from wandering too far from home. Yeah. The Kushtaka will get you. I guess. I guess. I mean, I'm not afraid yet. Also, just as a general, I'm doing a lot of notes mid-story. My wonderful and lovely cat, Harry, had seven teeth removed, so he's very needy. So you might hear him purring in the background because he needs me. So he's also on some drugs. But so, yeah, I don't really find him scary. But I guess, like, if you've grown up with this monster, also, I'm like, little auto monster. It would get you. It would kill you. It would get me. Another thing, too, after I was done, I did look up some TikToks of it. And there's people that hear weird calls in the forest, like if they're like staying the night or like in a cabin or whatever. And there was a few that came up where they're like, I heard a whistle. I swear I heard a whistle. I don't know why I heard a whistle. So I was like, ooh, spooky. I love it. So I think that was fun. Yeah, I thought it was fun. I'm mad that you thought it was real. I I really thought I had you. Well, because I was like, no, that's too obvious of a thing. It's too obvious. I enjoyed it. I also love a guessing game. And let us know if you thought that either of them were real. I'd be very interested in, especially Maryland people, if you thought that my crab thing that I didn't even give a name for was real. Well, I purposefully didn't say a name because then I feel like it kind of makes it too real if you're like, it is named this. And I don't know. Yeah. Well, I was going to give mine a name because it wasn't real. Yeah. I feel like that would like legitimize it. So it could go either way. I just thought of like Moana, like that giant crab man. Shiny. That's like Ben's favorite song. Like when it comes on, he's like, shit. And like he rocks out. Before I'd even watched it once, he'd watched it multiple times. It's got good taste. So now we have a couple other just great urban legends that we were able to find. 
Some are pretty ridiculous and I love them. Yeah, I feel like the ones that I found, like one is very silly and one is very similar to your otter man. I love her. Yeah, which is like, oh, like as you're talking, I was like, okay, okay. Noticing some similarities. So the first one we're going to discuss is the Loveland Frogman. And this is in Ohio in the U.S., Again, we'll share pictures with you. It's so silly. It's so, so silly. Every time you see there's multiple renderings of a frog man, and it is exactly what you think, right? Frog that's bipedal with like human, like not human like arms, but proportionally human arms. So like their arms are smaller than their legs. Uh-huh. And they're always like kind of near a guardrail looking like they're going to climb over. Okay. And there's a reason that that's the main way that you see this frog man depicted. But before we get to that. So it's also known as the Loveland frog or the Loveland lizard man. They're a humanoid frog slash toad. They're bipedal, four feet tall. And then they have frog characteristics like leathery skin and bright eyes and a frog face. So Edgar Slocken, who is a folklore professor at the University of Cincinnati, he studies stories of the Loveland Frogman and he graphed the sightings. And he said that it seems like the Loveland Frogman stories have been passed down through generations and that they also kind of come in like predictable cycles or waves. Like every couple of decades, like more come out. Okay. So stories of the Loveland Frogman started popping up in the 1950s. There's three distinct stories from that time, but they each start the same. There's a man driving by himself on a dark road where there was no one else around. The first variation of the story is that the driver is leaving Branch Hill, which is a neighborhood there, and he sees three giant creatures in the glow of his headlights. So he honks his horn because they're in his way. And he didn't register what he was looking at because they were standing up, right? Yeah. I feel like you don't automatically go to, this is a frog man, especially if it's like the first occurrence. You're like, this is strange. Yeah, fair. So the creatures then all turn their head when he honks his horn. And that's when he sees they have frog faces and that their skin is leathery. I also like, I don't understand how he wouldn't have noticed that their skin was leathery beforehand because their whole bodies are leathery from the way that they're described. So I feel like it would have had to start registering. This is not a human creature. Well, it was dark and it was headlights. So maybe, I mean, that's not something you'd expect. So you're not going to be like hardcore inspecting whatever's in front of you. It is now. I mean, yeah, now you know. Yeah. Okay. So the second variation of the story is that the driver sees the figures under a bridge in Loveland and he sees many of them jumping into the little Miami River. So he honks his horn again. Again, I don't understand why he's honking his horn in this version. So when he honks, one jumps out from beneath the bridge and lands on the hood of his car and is like, ribbit, like (laughs) on his hood. And then he passes out. And in our notes, I wrote, fair. (laughs) Because if a four foot frog jumps on your hood and goes, ribbit then I think that you get to pass out. Yeah, I'd be excited. I like frogs. I mean, I do too, but a four-foot frog, maybe not. Maybe that's too big. Maybe that's too big of a frog for me. Okay, so the third variation of the story, the driver's at the bridge again. But this time, he's out of his car before he even sees these, like, frog things. So he's out of the car, then he sees the figures. They're having a conversation, and they're talking to each other in a very animated way. So, like, they're moving their bodies a lot, and they're moving their hands. And so he interrupts their conversation, and one of the frogmen goes to the other one, kind of, like, holds his finger up, like, hold on one second. And he goes, can't you see we're holding a conversation? How rude. And then... (laughs) And then the one who said that pulls a wand out of God knows where, puts it above his head, flicks it, and then fire comes shooting out of the wand towards the man. And he takes off, which again, feels very fair. This is crazy. I'm still in my head trying to wonder, like, where did this come from? Like, why is this a thought? Okay, look, let's start with first off, Frogman. I'm not going there. But secondly, a wand? Yeah. So that's from the 1950s. We're going to fast forward to the 1970s, which in my mind is where all urban legends begin. The 70s? Yeah. Like the credible parts of urban legends, it feels like they're from the 70s. So on March 3rd of 1972 at 1 a.m., Officer Ray Shockey was driving his patrol car near Riverside Drive near the Boot Factory and the Little Miami River. He saw a large animal run across the street, and when it stopped, he could see it in his headlights. He said it crouched like a frog. He described it as having bright eyes, a frog-like tongue, leathery skin, and like it weighed about 60 pounds. Weird that he was like, I can eyeball the weight on this fella. Yeah. So 
Before he could get out of his car, it, it hopped over the guardrail and into the river. So he went back to the station and he came back with one of his friends and fellow officer Mark Matthews, who came back with him to kind of like look at what was there. And when he got there, they saw scrape marks that led down the hill into the river that would like match something of the size that Officer Shockey was talking about. And so Shockey described the creature to his sister who drew a sketch and he confirmed that that sketch was accurate. Now, this sketch is what spurs like every other piece of Frogman art of them like going over the guardrail because every other one is him about to go over it. It's a very fantastic drawing. And so two weeks later, Officer Shockey's colleague, Officer Matthews, reported seeing an animal near the same road that they were on. And it's interesting because I see two different accounts of what happened. The first account is that Matthews immediately got out of his car and shot the animal in his head. He then retrieved it so he could show Shockey what it was and that it wasn't a frog at all, but it was a three to three and a half foot iguana that was missing its tail. And that Matthews showed Shockey and they both were like, this is what was there. The second version of the story is that Matthew stopped his vehicle because he saw a large animal laying in the middle of the road. He assumed it was roadkill, so he was going to move it off of the road. When the door to his patrol car squeaked when he opened it, the animal hopped up into a crouch position, and he describes it as kind of like a football player. So Matthew tries to shoot the creature, but he didn't think he shot it because it never slowed down. So Matthew said that the creature stood up more erect than Shockey had described. So not an iguana at all, right? That's a very different version. Yeah. So Matthews also confirmed that what he saw matched Shockey's sister's sketch. Weird. Yes. So years later, Matthews and Shockey said that they both saw a big iguana. Some folks think that they said that because for years they were ridiculed and it was all anyone ever wanted to talk to them about. So they were just over it. Yeah. Fair. So also in March of 1972, a farmer said that he saw a huge lizard-like or frog-like bipedal creature. So let's fast forward many years to August of 2016 when Sam Jacobs was out looking for a Pikachu while playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> he was between Lake Isabella and Loveland Madera Road when he saw the Frogman. He said it was a giant frog that stood up and walked on its hind legs. And he even took a photo, which we'll share. And it's got bright eyes. It could be fake, but it looks real-ish. I want to see this photo. So what I love is that the community has really leaned in to the Frogman. And on September 11th this year, they actually had their seventh Loveland Frogman race. There's even a musical about the Frogman called Hot Damn, It's the Loveland Frog, which I love. <laughs> I love that. I don't understand. What if it's just like a big species of frog that someone found? So in that area, there are not any bipedal frogs that they know of. I mean, we have gigantic toads here, not four feet, but there's some pretty monstrous toads that come out in the monsoons. Yeah, there are species that are bipedal-ish. But not any that walk like a man from what I understand. And even if they were, they wouldn't be four feet tall. I feel like if there was four foot frogs in the world, we would know. <laughs> and it would probably be in Australia. It probably would be. Oh, my God. Look, the Internet did not disappoint when I typed in four foot frog. There is something called a Goliath frog that can be like up to three feet. But he's a chunky fellow and would not be standing up straight. Oh, wait, the monster Texas frog. That looks like a beast. Yeah, like I think that there's big frogs, but I've never heard of like four foot frog. I mean, this one looks I'm assuming this guy is at least five feet, right? Oh, my God. Giant frog weighs 20 pounds. So it looks like there was a giant frog killed in Texas on a golf course. But I would venture to say that is also a weird thing. Right. Well, I guess there's giant man frogs running around. And they also call him Frogzilla. I like Frogzilla. Frogzilla, which makes me think like that's not real. How long do Texas bullfrogs get? I thought it was fake, but if you go to News for San Antonio, it's from the news site and it says, man who caught giant bullfrog says picture is no hoax. And then there's a couple other pictures. Yeah, I don't think it was a hoax. I just think that that's an anomaly of a size of frog and that they also have a frogman then. <laughs> they probably thought it was a frogman. He jumped out of his car and then he shot it. Yeah. Sad, right? Yeah, no need to kill things just because you don't understand them. 
let me tell you about another fantastic creature. Is it bipedal? I mean, I guess, yeah, it can be. So it's called a Ningen, and they are humanoid creatures that live in the waters near Antarctica. And what they look like is they're completely white. There's a lot of different descriptions, but some are said to have mermaid tails or additional fins, but others have hind legs that allow them to walk on land. Some say it's the size of a human, while others say they're like 60 to 90 feet long with a blubbery skin like a whale. To me, it sounds just like they saw a white whale. Yeah. But (laughs) they have eyes and a mouth, but no real other facial features. And like when you're looking at these pictures of what people think that they look like, it kind of reminds me of like a whale or maybe even like a dolphin in a sense, but like minus the long nose. Okay. So other accounts say it's almost like an Antarctica mermaid. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. And when they describe that, they say that they have human like hands or arms. And then in my head, what comes to mind is on our mermaid episode when I told you about that white mermaid and then you kind of died inside. Yeah. Well, no, keep in mind, it wasn't that it was a white mermaid. In my brain, it was flesh colored. So it could be an array of different shades. But the idea that the top human half skin color would continue on to a skin tail (laughs) haunts me to this day and will forevermore. (laughs) If you look at some of these pictures, Lindsay, again, we will post these, but they are truly something. So the origin of the story. The first sightings had come from Japanese fishing vessels and they started to report these sightings. And at first they thought it was like a foreign submarine. But then as they like approached, they realized, no, this is a living animal. And then it went back underwater. It is said that they were able to document the sighting and even had pictures and videos. But there's a lot of rumors as to what happened to this documentation. Some say the research never surfaced because it was government intervention and they really didn't want that to get out. Or others say perhaps it was cultural pressure of not being associated with a possible paranormal event. And other things that I saw, too, is, yep, government intervention and the Japanese government is monitoring Internet postings and attempting to remove them as they appear. Okay, okay. All right, maybe, maybe. So the first time people started like talking about it is it surfaced on a Japanese forum called Two Channel. And they described it to be about 100 feet long and a somewhat humanoid shape with arms and legs. And it was published in that forum about 15 years ago. The first public article came up in 2007 in a Japanese paranormal magazine. And they were called Antarctic Humans, which I'm like, okay, humans in Antarctica, sure. I would love to do an episode on just Antarctica conspiracies because there's some doozies out there. Oh, there's so many. Yeah. So the article also included a Google Maps screenshot that is believed to be a Nyingen off the coast of southern Africa. But from what I understand, Google Maps no longer shows it. So a lot of people are like, it's a cover up. But others are like, no, they just took new pictures. Who can know? Yeah. So a couple additional details about these creatures. They're often out at night. And then Nyingen means human in Japanese. So there's a few different theories as to what these might be. Some say it's just an undiscovered creature and that it could even be a type of ape that can breathe underwater. Some think that it's maybe a whale and people are just seeing it in like a different way and not really realizing, no, it's not coming out to walk. Other people think, no, it's just ice. It's just an iceberg and that it's pareidolia that is making them see the shape in the ice. And we talked about that a lot, too, I think on our uh, ghost episode, right? We've talked about it in a lot of episodes. We did talk about it in ghosts. That's where we first talked about it. Yeah. So some people think that the online photos are made to look so absolutely unbelievable so that it damages the credibility of the real ones. Oh, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. So when you look at like the walking one, they're saying that they're posting things like this. So you're like, okay, sure. But some of the photos when you Google are real life Nyingen. I don't like that. That like 
it feels like one of those things where like it could be real, right? Like it, it could absolutely be a creature. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know what? It's hard to get proof and it's understandable because of where they live. So it's a remote area and it's super expensive to research there. So that's a lot of the reason, too, why a lot of people say there's a bunch of conspiracies in Antarctica, because it's just not really explored, right? Or it's hard to explore. I guess I don't understand why they would be so like, no, 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 it doesn't exist. Is it because of like the whaling industry in Japan? Well, there's more to this. So here's the reason why they think it's a big cover up. I talked a little bit about how the research never surfaced because maybe government intervention, right? Mm -hmm. Well, some believe the reason that they're trying to cover it up is because the government is using a chemical from this creature for medical or military purposes. And so they don't want people to know they exist because then they can't get that chemical easily or, you know, other people will want to see them and they want it hush hush so they can take this chemical. That's a very specific reason. It is. It's very weird. Also, based on their possible humanoid appearance, some believe that they can be super intelligent because of their similar shape. That means that maybe they have a similar ancestry and that perhaps they have similar brains. And a lot of people consider the idea of maybe we could communicate with them to learn more about sea life. I like this. I like this a lot. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I I do think there's a lot of undiscovered stuff, obviously, in the ocean. Yeah. And Antarctica makes sense because what's going on there, right? So maybe something like this is a thing. I mean, looking at the Google Maps picture, I think that's just ice. I don't think that that's one. Yeah. But like, why couldn't there be a weird whale with arms or like, you know, fins that kind of look like arms? That doesn't seem out of the question to me. I think what seems weird to me is that there's some substance coming from these creatures that is beneficial for the military or government. It feels like somebody was like, we're just brainstorming ideas. We're brainstorming ideas. Is there a compound? Maybe they have like a top secret recipe for bomb cookies. And like Toll House is like, nah, we don't need everybody to know that the one in our bag is like, okay. Right. Like to me, that's equally as credible. Toll House Gate. <laughs> I love how you just attacked Toll House. Honestly, though, I was just truly spitballing in that. Toll House cookies are good. I'm just saying, like, to me, it's that silly. Yeah, it's something. I just love the pictures. They were my favorite. That's what caught my attention. Oh, yeah. I like the one you have last. It looks like if, like, old-timey pictures of the moon <laughs> with legs had a baby with a human and milk. Ew. You're welcome. You're welcome for that. That was my favorite picture before. You're welcome. Kind of looks like a frogman in a way, too. It kind of does. It's like, what can we put on some legs? It's great. Okay, so the next one I'm going to talk about is called the Chulachaki. And so they're a gnome slash demon slash shapeshifter. They can turn into animals or humans. You're going to notice some similarities. Yeah. They're found in the Amazon rainforest. And in terms of what they look like, it can vary. They can resemble someone you know or an animal. They could often present as a little person with tattered clothing. However, there is one part of them that when they shapeshift will remain the same. And that is one of their feet will continue to look like a cloven hoof. I've also seen where it will look like a foot that's bent over on itself or a foot that's just full on backwards. Okay. Yeah. So folks in this area don't like when people cover their feet because they're like, oh, you're hiding your cloven backwards bent foot. Interesting, right? In the rainforest? Yeah. So you're not like, they're going to be like, you're wearing shoes in the rainforest. You must be a gnome person. But like, no, there's scary creatures that want to kill me. I think it's some people. I don't know if it's everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a very specific fear with a very specific, like, don't hide your feet from me. Okay. Interesting. And so what that reminded me of was from our Christmas episode last year with Gryla and her goose foot. Mm -hmm. I love a foot that don't change. You know what I mean? Like, it's funny that that's the one part that's in multiple stories. Yeah. Like you would think like, oh, their voice doesn't change or weird whistle or yeah, face or something. But yeah, they're one foot. Yeah. One foot just doesn't go through. And so the name Kulachaki comes from two Quechua words and it's Chula, which means unlike or different and Chaki, which is a pre-Hispanic Peruvian word for foot. So it's supposed to be like 
basically different or weird foot. And so I think this is an interesting urban legend in that it seems to have been repurposed over time. So they pretend to help people who are lost and they may take the form of someone they know or pose as a guide to allure someone deeper into the forest. Oh my gosh. So yeah, super similar. Yeah. Earlier I was like, are these the same? And so sometimes they'll also take the form of prey for people who are hunting so that they'll draw them further in. And the Chulachaki will enchant the person so that he can take their soul and something that their soul will remain in the rainforest and it will like cause like vibrational sounds that you hear in the rainforest. Some say that he will appear as a little person wearing like rags or tattered clothing and he'll kind of like put up his dukes and challenge you to a fight and you have to fight it. And if you don't fight him, then you will be cursed with bad luck and you'll lose the ability to hunt. And when it comes to bad luck, it's not just like, oh, you get all red lights. It's like your friends betray you and your spouse leaves you. Oh, wow. It's no good, right? They go deep. They go deep. Some think that he's killed humans. So this is where it starts to get like a little bit good is they're thought to be a creature that guards the forest and its animals and that it'll punish people who abuse the forest or break unwritten rules of conservation of the rainforest. Think poachers, miners, loggers. So local legends say that the Chulachaki is a member of a very old species that predates human and that they live deep, deep, deep within the rainforest. And they have their own like crops and gardens. And if a human comes close, that's when they'll put a spell on them or attack them or challenge them to a fight. So interestingly, this next part also reminded me of yours from the beginning. So if a Chulachaki steals a human, the human will become a Chulachaki. They steal children to raise and they also lure humans away and trap them for mating purposes. So like... Oh, yeah. So I looked online for different versions of people saying that they have experiences with the Chilhaki. And I found a website. It's called SiggingToThePlants.com. It seems like it might have some ties to ayahuasca. So I believe that if this talks about like medicine, that might be why. There's also some that believe that the Chulachaki guard a very particular tree that has like extraordinary medicinal properties. But so on the website, a man named Johan in 2014 gave his experience of meeting one. And he said, I have been doing ceremonies in the Peruvian jungle and have made friends with Chulachaki. I visited his tree and took pictures of it. Next ceremony, he came to me as a short, black, trollish kind of person, and he made my thumbs hurt. As I am also a reflexologist besides a photographer, I was quite upset about that. I told him that he could screw with any other joint besides my thumbs because that is how I serve people. He grumpily asked why I took pictures of his tree. I told him that I had heard about him and found him an interesting spirit. As a matter of fact, that I liked his attitude, but I had told him that I wasn't dieting on Kim, but on Noya Rao. I'm not quite sure what that means, but I think that they meant like what they're eating while they're in the forest. Yeah. Because if you're eating anything to excess, like it offends him. So the person then talks about like different spirits like showing up to him and it gets a little bit confusing from there. But he says that he had taken a piece of the tree that he was guarding and that he had taken it because he wanted to make a flute out of it. And that the Chulachaki was like, what are you doing with my tree? And he's like, I'm going to make a flute out of it. And that he would make the flute so he could tell more people about him. And he said that like after this encounter, that when he is like in a trance and meditation or possibly with ayahuasca, that the Chulachaki will protect him and that he was planning on going back to see him. So they made friends. He made friends. Even though he took a piece of his tree. Yeah. Well, he was like down with why he took it because it was like a piece that fell off. Got it. Okay. And the other experiences that I've read are similar to this and where someone's like, I liked it. One was a woman who was talking about how she had a dream that it smelled at her armpit and told her she smelled nice. And I was like, oh, okay. I just think of it like a forest spirit, right? Yeah. Like a lot of people say there's spirits that protect certain areas. And that's kind of where I'm going. Something to make people be better humans in the forest. Yeah, that's very much what I also took away from it was that it's like a guardian spirit who overall kind of does some good things. And that like if you do anything in excess that damages the forest, you'll have to pay. But people are believing in them less and less with deforestation and because more and more of the area is known. So it's starting to die down. Poor guy just wants his tree. 
right? So I have one that has become an urban legend and it's called The Crying Boy. And this one was really interesting because there's so many thoughts and feelings about this particular item. And it's a painting. So the origin story. There is a string of house fires in England in 1985 that destroyed everything except for a painting called The Crying Boy. On September 4th, 1985, The Sun, which is a British tabloid, published a story called Blazing Curse of the Crying Boy Picture. Ooh. And it had the story of a painting that caused fires. And there were supporting comments included in the article from a local fire station officer. So people are like, "Mm, fire station, they're bought in, we're totally bought in. So what was happening is basically these house fires were happening. And then after the fire, all that would be left would just be this unharmed painting of a crying boy. From what the article talked about, all the fires started spontaneously and they couldn't figure out why. There's also a story about how like a couple thought this is just painting. They kind of laughed off the warnings that their painting could possibly be cursed or, you know, cause something bad to happen. And then something bad happened. So there's a call to action to get rid of any of these crying boy paintings immediately. Fair. And uh, I said that someone from the fire station talked in there, too. The firefighter, I guess, said something along the lines of no firefighter would allow a copy of this painting in his own house. That's bad news. It kind of started chaos, right? So the son requested the readers to send their paintings in to be destroyed. And according to the editor, the office got swamped in crying boy pictures. They later burned them and discussed it in their 1985 article on Halloween with the headline crying flame. I don't like it. It's so weird. So a week after their first story went out there into the world, they published another article called Crying Boy Curse Strikes Again. And they discussed another fire where the same thing happened. And then this time, though, they had a different painting on the cover. And it's actually by a whole different artist, which I thought was kind of weird that they're just like, I guess any crying children might be bad. So over the next few months, The Sun and other tabloids continued their crying boy coverage and there were additional bonfires organized. It's estimated that thousands of the paintings were destroyed during this time. Some even wrote in to these tabloids about how they tried to burn their own painting, but they couldn't get it to burn. So then the legend kind of got out of control and really popular because the artists seemed to be really obscure too. So people are like, this is crazy. Like, what is happening? So I tried to deep dive a little bit more because this just seemed kind of crazy, especially because there are still articles that you can find about this painting. And the artist, it said that the artist's name was Giovanni Bragolin. And for a long time, it was hard to find information on him. Rumors were told about the paintings and that he had painted hundreds of crying children, either in Italy or in Spain. And in 2000, there was a book called Haunted Liverpool, which claimed that in 1995, a well-respected school teacher whose name was George Mallory discovered that the painter was actually a mysterious figure named Franchot Seville. And other sources, though, say that the artist was Bruno Amadio, and the other names may have been like his pseudo names. Okay. So it seems like any of those names go. And when you look up Giovanni Bragolin, Crying Boy, it comes up on things. So these particular crying children paintings were mass printed and they were available in a lot of stores in the 50s through the 70s. And from what I was reading, I guess it appealed to a lot of young couples for some reason. And I cannot understand why. Like, there's no reason I'd want this painting. (laughs) Yeah, as you were talking, I was like, why would you have a crying child photo? I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. But it seemed like a lot of people liked putting them up in their living room areas, their sitting rooms. People go through weird art phases. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I love weird art. Do I have a print of a Furby tea party? Absolutely. But I just feel like that's... It's quirky, right? That's something fun. It's joyful. Yeah, but like a crying child is not, I don't know what that appeals to. Well, also like I'm a very big believer in that art should make you feel something. And I'm sure that painting makes you feel something, but I generally tend to buy art for my home that makes me feel positive feelings, not just anything. Exactly. Yeah. 
So there was a backstory created for this painting. And there's so many stories and there's even some books written about them. But many discussed that this painting, this particular crying boy, was that of an orphan child. And shortly after this painting was made, that the artist's studio burned down and then the child died in a car crash. And so the legend says that the curse only affects someone once the owner of the painting is made aware about all of this. And the only way to get rid of the curse is to either give the painting to someone and be like, joke's on you, or reunite the boy with the girl variation of the painting. It's very strange. There's so many different variations of the story, so it's a lot. There were other publications talking about the story, and it gave a similar backstory, but gave a few more details. And it seemed to be kind of a combination of what that school teacher said, George Malloy, combined with a little bit of what that tabloid had said in 1985. And they say the painting was of a boy named Don Bonillo, and he accidentally started a fire in Spain and his parents died. So that made him that orphan. And then shortly after the event, it seemed that anywhere the boy went, some sort of fire would follow. And then that kind of prompted him to be called Diablo. Okay. And some believe Don was adopted, right? He's an orphan. And he was adopted against the will of a priest. And then he was abused by the painter. And so in the 70s, the boy died of an explosion that was caused by the car accident. And then the fires surrounding the painting are actually the boy's curse. Remember, fire would follow him. And it's his way of getting revenge. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So after reading all of these stories, again, people continued to write to the tabloids and to papers saying that they were just going to get rid of their painting to be safe because it freaked them out so much. I mean, I would do the same. Yeah. I, again, wouldn't have had it to begin with. But if I did, I would be getting rid of it. Yeah, absolutely. So I found a couple examples of where people had house fires and the painting survived. One was in a house fire of Ron and May Hall's home in South Yorkshire. Everything burned except for the painting. It didn't even have smoke damage, according to them. And that was sometime in the 80s. I couldn't find an exact date. They said that the painting of the crying boy looked like its eyes were looking out through the wreckage of their home. There's another one named Jane McCutcheon, and her home burned down in the 80s. The painting was in her living room. She was a mother of two, and she was cleaning the kitchen. And then she looked up to see that her drapes, her blinds, and her curtains were all on fire. The whole family was able to escape, and the whole home was destroyed. However, the only thing that survived was the painting. And then the story says that she claimed to hear a firefighter say, oh, no, not another. And she was told about a series of coincidences of bad luck that was speculated to be due to the paintings. So afterwards, she got rid of her painting. And then another one had written into the son named Dora Mann. And she said that her house burned down six months after purchasing the painting and mentioned that all of her paintings were destroyed except for this one crying boy painting figures of course right and then another person said not only the fires but she said that she had bad luck and that her husband and her three sons died since purchasing the painting in 1959 oh damn yeah so i guess there's so many different stories that were sent into these tabloids that's just a couple of them but there's a lot of theories and it might even be debunked so journalist Dr. David Clark says that the legend just has a ton of holes. So when he did his research, he couldn't find evidence that that teacher, George Mallory, even existed or that Don Benio, the boy, did either. Also, remember how the painter may have different names. So he said Amadio likely painted 20 to 30 of these crying boy paintings after training in Venice after World War II and sold them to department stores through the 70s. And remember how I said the tabloid had another artist? Yeah. He's saying like, it's kind of weird that there was similar paintings that supposedly were cursed too that have nothing to do with each other. Like the artists have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. So just seems very weird. Another theory is that the Sun made up the entire story just to get more readers because they were competing with another publication called the Daily Mirror. So maybe another man, his name's Stephen Punt, and he was a comedian, writer and a BBC radio presenter. And he researched the stories and he actually found Jane's story, the one that I just said a little bit ago. And he bought a painting of his own. And he even remarks like little nervous, right? 
fair. But he did an experiment and he actually tried to set it on fire. And there's a YouTube link of his experiment too. And basically he like had the painting kind of on a brick and then it looks like he started the fire on the bottom right hand side of the painting, like underneath it so that hopefully it would catch on fire. Yeah. Well, he set it on fire to test if it was like fire resistant. And basically, once the fire was going, the lapel on the boy's jacket was singed a little bit. And the painting did get a small hole from where the fire was burning, but it stopped pretty quickly afterwards. And the painting seemed almost unharmed. So the painting, from what I understand, is also printed on compressed board. And according to people that make things, they say that that's kind of fire resistant. So overall, what they ended up believing is that the varnish on the painting was probably stopping it from catching on fire. Oh, okay. And so that would make sense why that particular painting didn't burn while others might have, because maybe they weren't using that particular varnish. That makes sense. In my mind, I'm like, okay, that debunks it, right? Like, it's just a special painting, something on it. But even though it is debunked, there's still a lot of people that hesitate to have this painting in their house, knowing about all the other fires. And a few of them are like, that's just too much of a coincidence that all these people's houses that burned down in this time frame all had that same painting. Like, maybe it is just a big coincidence, but it's like, do I want to be part of that? Do I want to chance it? I mean, also, why are you buying a painting of crying children? No reason. Who could know? There's no good reasons. It seems like it was just like a common print at the time. So if you want to own one of these yourself... The paintings are still available online. And I thought it was funny because a lot of them are labeled cursed or haunted. Of course they are. And I even saw one on eBay that's selling right now for $222.83. Hot damn. Yeah. So, Amanda, I have a question for you. Who do you think owns one of these? One of these crying boy paintings? Mm Mm-hmm. Zach Baggins. Oh, In 2016, someone donated a crying boy painting to him for his museum. Of course they did. And he was like, it's haunted. Yeah. I was like, oh, this has him written all over it. It looked at me. (laughs) Well, great. They would gift it to him because they're like, how do I get rid of this curse? I can give it to someone. Here's the thing. If you've got a cursed item, Zag Baggins wants it. So like, why not give him that curse if he wants it? He's asking for it. I mean, he literally is, though. Like, he literally wants to be cursed, which feels a lot like self-harm. You know what I mean? I'm like, why do you hate you so much? It feels like, I guess in my brain, I'm like, you couldn't believe in this stuff or you wouldn't be doing all of this. Or he's trying to enlighten people so they don't get cursed. Oh, yeah. Zach Baggins, the altruist. (laughs) Her eyes couldn't roll harder. My eyes rolled so hard. They sprained. I sprained my eyes. So these were interesting urban legends this time. Yeah, some weirdies, if you will. Yeah, I love the weird creatures. I really do. Because the thing is, there are unknown creatures, right? Undiscovered creatures on our planet. Yeah. And they could completely be a weird whale, frog, something or another man out there. Who could know? When you're right, you're right. Yeah. If you have an urban legend that you'd love us to share... Shoot us an email. We'd be happy to look at some other creepy, weird urban legends. Yeah. This is one of our favorite topics. We say that a lot, but this one is a lot of fun to research. And these pictures are fabulous. They bring great joy to my heart. There are some quality products that I found in my research, including a frogman with a butt, like with quite a butt, right? That's why you were sending me that weird sticker. I was like, wow, your sticker game's gotten weird. No, that wasn't me. That was somebody else's beautiful talent. They actually do a whole bunch of cryptids with like their butts. (laughs) It's very funny. I found it very humorous. Again, we'll be posting these first in our Bat Bonfire. If you want to join our Bat Bonfire, check out our Patreon. We have a lot of fun tiers. Yeah. Also, if you're enjoying our True Creeps episodes, please give us a review on iTunes or Facebook. And if you do, shoot us an email with a screenshot and we'd be happy to send you a sticker. Yeah. And with that, have a good weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod.com on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod 
and on Twitter at True Creeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. 